A white man? No! Welcome to the Unsub is a White Man. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And we are back with another recap of Criminal Minds with what I had remembered as being one of my favorite early episodes. Yeah. I like this one. This is a good good one. one. There's a lot going on. It wasn't exactly how I remembered it, but I was still pleased Mm -hmm. about it. I watched it again this morning. Um, I have a lot to say about geography and travel. I, that's the bulk of uh, one of the sections of my notes. I did so much pausing to Google Maps the things they were talking <laughs> about because it didn't add up and I was right, it doesn't. No, it doesn't make any sense at all. None of this makes any sense as far as efficient travel is concerned, mm-hmm. but that's all right. Yeah. I can let that go. Um, we are, of course, talking about Derailed, which originally aired November 23rd, 2005. Yes. is supposed to be... I would think, as it is posited at the beginning, like a capsule L episode. Yeah. But she's pretty useless. She is. And it's a bummer. It is. Yeah. They, and there's, they set her up. And I mean, we'll get to it later, anywhere. but I was thinking maybe there was like something that I missed in it. I don't know. But yeah, I was rewatching it uh, yesterday and I was just thinking like, it's set in Texas, and there are just so, so many timely things that they have. <laughs> had no idea would be so timely. Right? Who 16 knew? 16 years, years in later, the future. this would still be so relevant. <laughs> yeah. But it is. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot going on here. And I, I get uh, this is one of the first times in a while in my notes. My notes are usually like one line, like each note is one line, and then it's all double spaced. And I have like huge ranting paragraphs about (laughs) the way they set up the travel and how the geography doesn't add up here, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. So you want to get into it? Yes. Let's get right right into it. I'm so ready. Um, So when we open up, Hotch is telling JJ that Elle is in Texas doing a custodial interview with some unnamed child murderer, Mm -hmm. which I kind of liked because that's an accurate representation of what the BAU actually does. They go and they interview... Uh, incarcerated criminals yeah. in order to find out how their minds work and how those things can be applied to other cases. Um, JJ, I, I loved how much JJ hated it. Yeah, she's like super incredulous that they're allowing her to do custodial interviews already. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's it's just an interview. Yeah, and with it's someone been who's like in months prison. and months. And there's and she was an FBI agent before that. Like, yeah. there's absolutely no reason to think that Elle wouldn't be fully capable of doing this. But JJ's like, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because they haven't really let JJ do anything up to this point. But that's not her job. I, yeah. Like, she's not a pro. She's just a communications liaison. She dislikes Elle as much as I do, I guess. Um, But I mean, they let Reed talk to the unsubs all the time, and he's he's never the least qualified out of any of them. Particularly good at it, yeah. But um, yeah, so I that was the first thing that mildly irritated me. Mm -hmm. Um, So then we cut to this very sparsely populated train car. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone is just pensively staring out of the windows and they're having um, 
really overacted flashbacks. I love this montage. They it's all so great. They all remind me of like like the style of acting is like the part of infomercials where someone is trying <laughs> really hard to complete a simple task but is unable to do so. Yeah, like Joey trying to open the milk carton. With friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's one man and he's been, I like, seems like he's been disowned by his father after drunkenly wrecking another car. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a woman who's decided to terminate her pregnancy. Um, she would have to be leaving Texas to do that these days. Correct. Um, there's a really sweaty guy. Um, he <laughs> is getting a divorce and he has a gun in his briefcase. Mm -hmm. They don't explain why he has the gun. Like, no. is he going to kill his wife or is he going to kill himself? Oh, we or... have no idea. I don't know. I loved this montage though. This, I wrote right here, this is dot, 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 a lot to take in. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and it's just, everybody has a lot of reasons to justify this train ride. Yeah. They're like, they, we want to do this on a train, but... Who rides a train? I know. And there's just such little payoff for all of these little side stories yes. that they're giving you. Yes. Um, but then the other woman is, she's going to a conference and she has someone who's proof of her theories, but her colleagues don't think they're ready and they don't really explain any of that. Mm. Um, and also Elle is on the train and then there's another guy, um, and then there's a guy sitting behind him. And did you recognize him? I didn't. From anything? Uh, so I first, I was like, this guy looks so familiar. He looks so familiar. And then I was like, oh my God. From New Girl. Yes. He was a New Girl. He, he's the landlord on New Girl. He, he's Remy the landlord. Yeah. He is also um, in this one episode of Law and Order SVU where mm -hmm. he is this like cult leader who yes, I um, like that. impregnates a 12 year old girl yeah. and then the cops like raid their it's not really a compound it's like a townhouse and mm -hmm. they kill all of the children and it's just like one of the like those episodes of SVU that always sticks in my head yeah and while I looked up his IMDB credits and he I was I wrote this creepy whispering guy always plays the cre creepy whispering bad guy and stuff I know so like, basically his niche Immediately, it was like, okay, so he's the bad guy just based on that yeah, one SVU he's episode. always the bad guy and stuff, except in New Girl where he is hilarious. Yeah. But I mean, he's kind of a bad dude in New Girl, too. But yeah, he's kind of he's, a predator, he's but he's a funny creepy, predator. He's, yeah. he's a lovable creeper. <laughs> but this was the one of the first times that I was like, okay, hold on a second. Are you telling me that we're supposed to believe at this point that Elle has taken a train from D.C. to Texas? Because that, right now, we know nothing about where they're headed yeah. or which direction she's coming from. She's coming from D.C. to Texas. Are they just trying to be rid of her? Why would she be on a train? Yeah. Why would they not fly her? Even if she's going to Houston, which is pretty far east as far as Texas is concerned, that's over a day and a half on a train. Especially considering how many times they flew back and forth from Atlanta to Palm right. Beach in that one episode they with have the a bomber. Jet. They have their own private yeah. jet, but they're putting her on a train for like two yeah. days. Um, so yeah, um, then... Elle calls Gideon mm -hmm. and tells him that she's taking the train from El Paso instead of driving to Dallas to interview him. Which, again, doesn't make sense my because <laughs> El Paso is so far west. My note here says, the fuck? Yes. <laughs> because El Paso is literally the westernmost point in Texas. Why would you be flying from somewhere on the east coast all the way why to the west side of Texas? Why would you fly into El Paso? And right? they don't ever give you a reason. Like, maybe she had to interview other people in El Paso 
and then go to Dallas. But, but they still, never why say you that. Fly? And e- yeah, even if you were in El Paso, why wouldn't you fly from El Paso to Dallas? Because I looked this up. A train ride from El Paso to Dallas is 22 hours. Yeah. To drive in your car from El Paso to Dallas is nine. Yeah. Texas is an enormous state. There's right. no way that they wouldn't just have her fly. So if they weren't going to have her fly, why wouldn't she drive? It's literally like a third of the time for her to drive. Because she needs to go over the case file. No. <laughs> I wrote, I, after that huge rant, I wrote, why would she do this? Yeah. But then she starts losing, because she calls Gideon to tell her, explain that. And then she starts losing cell reception. And the entire point of the call yeah. is just to establish why Elle is on a train and that there is no cell reception where and they are. And Gideon could not give two fucks about what Elle has to say. <laughs> no. He's, He's like, like I'm busy, stop, calling, stop me. calling me. She like calls him dad or something. Like she's checking in with her dad. Yeah. And he's like, please never call me again. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, okay, bye. <laughs> Um, so then, um, I, they don't name the creepy guy. So in my notes, I keep referring to him as Abraham because that was his name (laughs) in the SVU episode. So I'm sorry if this is confusing, but that's what I uh, wrote down repeatedly. Um, he leans to the man in the seat in front of him, um, and he points out Elle's FBI file. Um, you would think she would be slightly more discreet with that, but not she is not. Mm-hmm. Um, the other man says to leave him alone. Conf- the conference lady smiles over at him, and the headline on the paper she's reading changes to, we see you. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you kind of get the picture that this guy um, has some mental illness going on, yeah. and that... Abraham is probably just a hallucination, Mm -hmm. like a devil on his shoulder. Uh, The train lurches to a stop and a security guard comes in to reassure them. He sees Elle's folder and then without any prompting whatsoever, just tells her that there was a suicide and someone jumped in front of the tracks. And then he's like, it happens all the time. Yeah, which is horrifying. Um, But also like just because she has an FBI file doesn't mean that she needs to know that piece of information. Yeah. I thought that was weird that he was just offering He's it not even like a real law enforcement person. He's essentially a security guard, right, for the train. I assume so. But he's like, hello, fellow law enforcement professional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then Abraham starts goading the crazy guy into grabbing the security guy's gun and shooting him. Um, then he punches L and takes her gun as well. And, and what a punch. Yes. And then hallucination Abraham is quite proud of him. Mm-hmm. So um, then the team, uh, we cut back to the BAU. The team is watching live security footage of the train. Um, which No one realizes L is even on this yeah. train. And I was wondering, like, how are they getting that footage if yeah. we've already established that they're in the middle of, like, central Texas in the middle of nowhere and there's no cell service? Like, right. how are they getting this but live But they're, like, live feed. feed. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Um, and it seems in that moment that it's just video. There's no sound, right? No, they can't hear anything. Yeah, they can only see it. That comes up later, though. Yeah, because so. they have to use the phone to communicate. Right. Um, so then um, Hotch says that they were asked to assist due to a particular psychological aspect of the hostage taker that they are equipped to handle. Mm-hmm. That's that's literally your job, Hotch. We know that. We yeah. know exactly why. Yeah. Um, yeah. In these early episodes, they go out of their way to justify their reasonings for yeah, being and there. And like, just say what the reason is. Like, 
Like, yeah, I don't. They, I just they <laughs> suspect he's a paranoid schizophrenic, and so was, they're calling us in. You would think, really, for any kind of hostage situation, the FBI would be involved. Like, there wouldn't be on your local PD have like a trained negotiator. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It just seemed weird. Like that was a very weird way to phrase it. I expect the FBI to be involved in a hostage taking situation of that scale. I don't know. So then uh, Reed asks them to rewind the tape a little bit so he can look a little bit more closely. Um, Reed notices that the unsub has tardive dyskinesia, which is facial tics from Mm -hmm. um, taking antipsychotics. Uh, but he does not notice that Elle is in the background. Right. I was. I just wrote, guys. He's like, <laughs> they should know that she's on this train because it's so weird yeah. that she's on it to begin with, and they're like not even paying attention. Yeah. But then Gideon notices, right? Because he had the phone call. Yeah. From her, so, like, good thing she called, or mm-hmm. else nobody ever would have noticed. Yeah. That she was just <laughs> in the background of that train. <laughs> Poor Elle. Um, so then uh, we learned that apparently Elle did not have the private jet because the rest of the team uses it <laughs> yeah. to arrive on the scene. Um, that's that's a six-hour flight. That's what, Okay, I looked that up too. <laughs> like, what have they been doing for six hours? That's what I wrote. The timelines. Like, a flight from D.C. to El Paso was roughly six hours. They say that he asked to speak to the higher authorities Within three hours, it's been two and a half hours, but it takes them six hours to get there. Like, what is happening yeah. in this episode? Um, Obviously, this was before Google Maps was like an easy thing <laughs> to look up when you used to have to go to like MapQuest and then print out five pages of directions and stuff. Yeah, maybe it was harder to just look up direct flight times. Like, the internet wasn't the same in 2005, but yeah, they're all over the place with yeah. the timelines here. Um, Hotch says that they need to know who was on the train so that they'll know who's going to be helpful or who's going to be a problem. So Morgan calls Garcia to tell her to run facial recognition (laughs) software. The most efficient criminal minds way to do it. Yeah. So I was wondering, like, I don't know, like. You'd have a record of everybody who bought a ticket, right? And I'm going to assume that they evacuated all the other train cars. So by process of elimination, they could very quickly tell you exactly who is in that car. That's I have not been on a lot of trains. I have been on several yeah. train rides, but like one of them is just one of those like through the national park kind of deals. Mm-hmm. And like, like when we took um, my son to go see, like when it was Thomas the Tank Engine, yeah. you know, like you had to buy tickets ahead of time. So they would have had record yeah. of my name being on there. But then also they have like a thing where you can ride your bike and then ride the train back. And mm-hmm. then you just pay with cash so they wouldn't necessarily know who you are so I don't know I don't know if trains have like a manifest like a plane does I don't know this was I mean this would have been a few years after this when I was living in New York City I would take the train from New York to Pittsburgh all the time back and forth yeah and then someone would pick me up in Pittsburgh to drive me the rest of the way to my parents house and it was like you have your name on your ticket like when you fly yeah I was gonna like say if it's something like Amtrak I'm sure that it's more that there's like a manifest of like if I buy two tickets they don't both say my name on it it would say my name and the other person who who's riding with yeah. me. So they should be able, I'm assuming, is everybody else just sitting in the other train cars waiting? I have no idea. Um, but then this was the thing that made me so angry mm-hmm. um, because then Morgan also goes, oh, by the way, Elle's on the train. Like yeah. they left and nobody bothered <laughs> to tell Garcia. Like poor, 
Poor Garcia. She's like cracking jokes and having a grand old time. Yeah, she has no idea that somebody on their team is in like grave danger, yeah. having been taken hostage by an insane madman. It's well, like, we all know on, how Garcia, Garcia feels about L two. Yeah. If anything, this episode in retrospect proves how little anyone on this team cares about L. I know. <laughs> uh, so um, it apparently took two hours to convince the unsub to agree to a phone call. Then the unsub gave them three hours to produce the higher authority that he wants to talk to. And that was two and a half hours ago. So that pretty much covers the six hours. But they got there just in time. Naturally, just like they always yeah. do. Um, so Gideon says to turn on the lights and sirens to assert themselves as the higher authority. I love his theatrical arrival plan. Yes. So dramatic. <laughs> so, uh, the conference lady is trying to speak to the unsub whose name is Teddy. Um, she's his psychiatrist and she tells everyone that he's never had a break with reality like this. They need to make him feel less threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pregnant lady throws up and the psychiatrist immediately assumes that she must be pregnant because no one has ever, um, thrown up from extreme stress. Right. <laughs> ever. Yeah. Um, but Teddy just will not be reasoned with. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sweaty guy opens up his briefcase and everyone assumes that he's going to pull out a gun despite no one having any idea that he has a gun, which then also made me think like, this is post nine 11. Can you just bring a gun on a train? Apparently. I don't know. I don't know. I've never tried. <laughs> so I never <laughs> thought about it. I don't, I've never tried to take a gun anywhere. I yeah. just assume they're probably not welcome. Um, but also we know at this point that he has a gun. Yeah. But that's not where we're headed here. Yeah. Um, so the he actually pulls out a Bible, uh, which the alcoholic guy asks if he's planning to throw at Teddy. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes this, a big swig of liquor. This drunk guy is super chill about this hostage situation. Yes. He's like no holds barred, sassing around at everybody. Yeah. Um, so Hotch tells the SWAT leader that they're going to try to negotiate, but if he indicates that he's going to kill the hostages, they need to go ahead and take the shot. Um, Gideon says that Teddy's delusions are important. They need to figure out what Teddy thinks is happening. Mm -hmm. So Teddy grabs the pregnant lady by the hair and Elle says to take her instead, that they'll want to talk to her and she can get him what he wants. He yells at the pregnant lady not to send any secret messages or codes and puts her on the phone. So she asks who arrived and Gideon says it's someone who can resolve the situation. She asks what part of the government works for, and Gideon says that he never said he works for the government. Um, so this is making the Dallas FBI agent pretty uncomfortable at this As point. As it should, um, because Gideon, once again, is just playing fast and loose with all the hostages' lives. Yes. Like, he does not care. Um, and I noticed that um, how, how very Texas it was that the uh, FBI local agent is wearing a bolo tie. Yeah. Yeah, he sure is. <laughs> That's how you identify him as being Texan. Um <laughs> And Morgan says that the less Gideon says, the more mysterious and powerful he seems. Um, it seems to work because Teddy wants to know if they're the NSA. And then he looks at the L and realizes that they're obviously the FBI. Um, she outed them when she said that they'd want to talk to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teddy gets on the phone and Gideon convinces him that he's the higher authority. Teddy says that he wants to have it removed. And Gideon says it'll take time. And Teddy says he has an hour to remove it before he kills everybody on the train. So they've got to figure out what's going on now. No one has any clues what it might be. 
Um, Abraham says that they won't ever leave him alone. The psychiatrist says that Teddy thinks the government is monitoring him. An alcoholic guy agrees. He says that they have ways of tracking everything you do. Like, yeah, it's called your cell phone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like these people have no idea how much more they're going to be able to track you in 16 years by something you willingly carry around with you. Um, but that's just always my favorite conspiracy theory because I feel they're going to be tracking. I feel so sorry for whatever, like government agent is responsible for tracking my every move (laughs) and keeping track of what I do in my spare time because how boring. She's (laughs) watching that show again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, So the alcoholic guy says it's no coincidence that there's an FBI agent on the train with them. Um, Teddy starts complaining that it's hot and the alcoholic guy is like, of course it's hot. You took hostages on a train in the middle of Texas. (laughs) Like, I like this guy a lot. (laughs) Um, the psychiatrist says that they're trying to stop him from having it removed, but he's close and she holds out his arm toward the camera to give them a clue Mm -hmm. um, because his arm is covered with scars from where he's clearly been cutting himself to try to remove something. With these really unrealistic looking scars. They're like welts. Yeah, they're very thick. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe if if you don't get, I, I don't know, like... I've got a few scars, but they were like from places that are were stitched up. So the scars are very thin. So I don't know if maybe you don't get stitches if they would. Mm, I, I think don't know. They were pretty unrealistic. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it seems looked, super unrealistic. They looked pretty nonsense. It was pretty over the top. Um, so I liked that move. That lady is pretty smart. Yeah. Um, so Gideon notices them and realizes that he probably thinks there's some sort of microchip implanted in him. And I love this because they say they have an hour to figure it out, but in that hour so far, there may be like 10 or 20 minutes into that hour, they haven't done anything but just sit there and continue to watch what's going on inside the train car. They're not doing anything extra Yeah, to try to figure it out. They're just like <laughs> biding their time, which seems, again, like you're playing really fast and loose here. Um, so then Garcia calls in with the identities of the other travelers. Uh, the sweaty guy is Harry Anderson. The girl is Elaine Curtis. The psychiatrist is Linda Deaton. And the alcoholic guy is a college student named Josh Patel. Um, Did you notice that in all of their driver's license photos, they're wearing the same outfits that they have on in the train car? I did not notice that. But did you notice when they pull up Josh's like fake social uh, social media profile, it has his favorite books and movies listed. And one of his favorite books is The Fountainhead. So I was immediately like, oh, God, Josh is one of those college kids. I know. Um, And the other one was um, it's actually like a, a. compilation of essays about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> like scholarly essays about Buffy. And then um, his favorite movies, it was like a couple of Oliver Stone movies, mm. um, and then also old school. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, wow, what a weird compilation yeah. of things, but pretty accurate for a college what student. What a guy. Um, so anyway, Teddy is Dr. Theodor- Theodore Breyer. The article that Garcia pulls up about him, um, did you read that at all? No. It's just absolutely riddled with typos. <laughs> um, but it says he's a physics professor, or was a physics professor at Cambridge University, um, which 
was Cambridge confusing. Cambridge in England? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess maybe Fine, I originally guess. from El Paso. They don't explain what he's doing there yet. Yeah. Um, but he is like, studies uh, like string theory and M theory and all of the stuff that like they like start talking about it and you're like, well, obviously Reed is going to come in handy yeah. here because he is the only person that will in any way, shape or form yeah. be able to know what this guy is talking about. Uh, Reed says to send everything to him. <laughs> like clearly. <laughs> obviously, um, yes. Which again, there's no cell service here. Like, Right, but they're like <laughs> sending this? things back and forth, no yeah. problem. I don't understand where all of this information is coming, like how it's all coming through. Um, Gideon surmises that Harry probably isn't someone who takes risks, that Josh is probably drinking and could cause issues, and Linda is a renowned psychiatrist, author, and a popular lecturer. Um, so then we are back on the train and Abraham is giving Teddy a pep talk and Harry's asking Elle why the FBI isn't helping. Josh starts spouting all these 1984 references at Teddy and Abraham tells him that Josh is laughing at him. Um, Gideon, Reed, and Morgan are trying to figure out how to remove a non-existent microchip and Reed suggests just faking it. You're like, what? Yeah, that's what the, a novel literally idea. the only thing that you can yeah. do. Well, no, you're going to actually take the microchip out that doesn't exist. Yeah, like you just have to get him close enough to pretend to remove a chip and right. then take him down. Yeah. Because that's what you're trained Except to do. Except that's not the plan they do. Um, but no, Reed wants to go with close-up magic. Yeah. <laughs> and then he brags about how he used to do sleight of hand tricks all the time in college. <laughs> to get the ladies. And um, you know what? Morgan doesn't even make fun of him. No. Not even a little bit. And this deserves to be <laughs> made fun of just a little bit. But I guess Morgan and well, is do you maturing know, do you know more what than I, I learned? have. I learned that Matthew Gray Googler really is an expert in close-up magic. Of course he is. And as a child <laughs> that he like trained to be a magician. That seems right. Yeah, it tracks. Yeah. Um, it was probably in his contract that he had to work on some magic into one on episode. It's his resume and his special <laughs> yeah, skills. Exactly. Juggling in close-up magic. Yeah. Um, so Morgan doesn't want to let Reed go in because obviously if you're going to have somebody go in, pretend to move a chip, and then take a guy down, Morgan's the guy you want doing that. Right. Um, so he wants to teach him the trick. And my first thought was, oh, God, please let there be a montage of the training <laughs> process. And then I just had this this whole like mental fantasy where it would be like, um, do you remember those 90s Mentos commercials? <laughs> where like somebody would do something really stupid to like beat the system. So mm -hmm. I just wanted Reed to do like a fake surgery and then uh, Morgan just like leap out of nowhere and tackle him. And Morgan just gives the thumbs up with the Mentos Ding. pack and they're like, Mentos, the fresh maker. <laughs> but that's not what they do. It's not. And well, I get it. Like Reed is young and he's inexperienced. He's not tough like Shamar more but he's a qualified fbi agent like he shouldn't be a field agent if he really is this bad at his job yeah. if he only like is there to know stuff then he should stay back at the office right yeah. like what the actual bau yes, does because he's putting people in danger <laughs> but now they're to the point where like there's not enough time to teach someone else close-up magic we've got to <laughs> send in reed um 
So JJ doesn't understand what M theory is, uh, this thing that Teddy is studying. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, don't worry, JJ, because none of us do. <laughs> um, she also tells us that he apparently worked for the government for a few years. Gideon cites this as the probable source of his delusions. And then we learn that he's been institutionalized in El Paso for nine years mm-hmm. um, until Dr. Deaton decided to take him on this trip to this conference. Um, Dr. Deaton tries to talk Teddy down, but Abraham is just like refuting all of her points and everything. Um, she offers to stay as his hostage if he lets everyone else go. And then he imagines her transforming into, um, Galadriel from Lord of the Rings Uh is the only way that I can describe it. (laughs) She's all dressed in white and glowing and she's like, everyone wants to kill you. (laughs) Yeah. These delusions are all over the place. Yeah. So, um, he pulls the gun and Elle says that if he hurts one person on the train, that she'll make sure that they never take it, take it out of him. It'll be there forever. Uh, the phone rings, and Gideon says that he's sending in two texts to remove the chip. Uh, Teddy says only one, and they have to do it right now. So, obviously, they and have to send Reed in because there's no time to teach Morgan this uh, sleight of hand trick. There's no close-up magic online <laughs> university from Ant-Man. This plan is bananas, and I love it because Reed tries practicing with a microchip, and he can't do it. <laughs> He can't even do it. And he does it badly so many times. And then he succeeds once. Yeah. And they're like, well, clearly you're ready. Yeah. They're like, great. Go ahead in. Like he's wearing rubber gloves and this microchip is so tiny that like, yeah, of course that would be like impossible. Because it's just like the, like, like a SIM card out of a walkie talkie or something. Hotch like breaks it open, pulls out the card. Um, so Morgan helps Reed put his vest on and he's coaching him about how to negotiate. He's was so like, worried. You're being so nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I was worried about in this moment that Reed was going to walk in and Elle was going to blow it and like recognize him in some way yeah. that was like obvious. And then he'd know that they were part of the same team and it would all be downhill. Yeah. I had zero faith in Elle, I guess. Yeah. Um, so everybody seems dubious about this plan. Um, As Reed, they should be. Reed also notices this and asks if one of them could please just act like they're going to see him again. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're all just like sadly waving goodbye to him as he walks toward we the train. We liked knowing you. And then Hotch goes over to the SWAT snipers and he's like, okay, we're probably going to have to go in. So like... <laughs> Uh, so Reed gets on the train. He announces that he's there to remove the chip and Teddy makes him take off his bulletproof vest, which is the one thing that Morgan just told him not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Morgan's pretty mad about it. <laughs> um, he was a good choice to send in though, because he's the least threatening person I've ever seen. Yeah. Once he takes his vest off, he's just like wearing a tie and like, yeah, he, he looks like somebody. He looks like a computer nerd. Yeah. Um, So he makes a small little incision and he pretends to pull out the chip. Um, Teddy looks really relieved and he points the gun at Reed and asks him to turn it on. And Reed's like, oh, shit. Yeah. So um, Elle chimes in, thank God, (laughs) and says that it only works when it's implanted. And Reed says that it's the firing neurons that power the chip, which the guy doesn't seem to notice makes no sense at all. Right. He's supposed to be like a a scientist, (laughs) Yeah, but okay. Uh, But Josh, the alcoholic guy is just fully invested in what's going on here. It's real. He's totally full. He's like a little kid at a birthday (laughs) party. Oh my God. It was there the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Josh. You're really helpful. I, what I love most is that this genius plan has done nothing except added a hostage to the hostage situation. We're now plus one hostage overall. Yes. 
Um, so Gideon calls and Reed tells him that it's the higher authority and they're calling because he broke the protocol. And, and Teddy the phone rings for a million years. Yes, it does. And it's it drove just me like insane. A, it's it's not even a cell phone. It's like a landline. How'd they get it? I was, that's what I was I trying to I don't understand what like, the landline is. Like, did they plug is. it in and, like, somebody came in and, like, pitched it in through an open window of the train car? Like, how'd it get in there? I, I don't know what's going on there. Like, I, they might as well just have, like, some aluminum cans <laughs> right. with a string. He's <laughs> <Yes>. not <laughs> letting anybody in or out, but they somehow ran a landline into there. Okay. Yeah. Um. So... Teddy wants to know why they won't just leave him alone. Um, Josh starts spouting off all of this conspiracy theory bullshit. Um, The psychiatrist tries to step in and Teddy gets super confused and then he shoots her. Mm -hmm. So she goes down, he goes to answer the phone. Everybody runs over to Dr. Deaton. And this is where I got really confused because they're watching it on the, on the screen so we can see it. Mm -hmm. And he is on the phone with his back turned to absolutely everybody who's Mm -hmm. they're all over there with the doctor. And then I was wondering like, is Elle handcuffed? It seemed like she was at one point, but not at every point. Yeah. At at this point I was wondering, yeah, why aren't they just making a run for it? He's not even paying attention to you. Why aren't they taking a shot at him? He's the furthest away from all of the hostages that he's been. Yeah. And he he had his back to them and he's distracted because he's on the phone and his gun at that point, he had it on the ground. Right. Like, you I mean, think- it was still in his hand, but it was on the ground, not like ready to shoot. Right. So I could not understand why Somebody Ellen didn't Reed yeah. didn't run over and tackle him and take him down because we saw in Broken Mirror, Ella's quite capable yeah. of taking down right. a full grown man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she did that with no problem. And we know that Reed is a good shot. Yeah. And she took down like... A trained FBI agent. This guy has no idea what he's doing, and he's yeah. clearly decompensating. Like, yeah. He's quite confused. So that's why I was wondering if she was maybe cuffed. She, she must be, but she gets out of her chair, I thought, but maybe not all the way out of her yeah. chair. It was very confusing. I, didn't, I watched it twice, and I didn't see at any point where he actually cuffed. Yeah, I didn't either. I was wondering if that got cut or something because there's a couple of shots where you can see a handcuff yeah, around one stays, of her wrists. She stays in the seat most of the time. Yeah. So she must have been. There's no reason other than her being cuffed to the seat why she and Reed wouldn't have taken that opportunity to take him down. Yeah. Also, yeah. why didn't Reed just do it? I know, right? We see in LDSK that he's a really good shot. Yeah. Like Reed and like. That other guy could have done it. Yeah. You know? <sighs> anyway. <sighs> <laughs> um, so he, uh, Gideon says that he um, has decompensated enough that he's going to kill the hostages. So they're getting ready. Um, like SWAT team's getting ready to like go in and take them down. Um Reed notices that Teddy's talking to himself and Teddy says it's not gone. He can still hear it. And he references the name Leo. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, the Abraham guy. Um, So um, Reed says that there's no other chip and that Leo would have told him if there was one. Um, He tells like 
uh, speaks directly to Leo and says to let Teddy think for himself. Yeah, he pretends like he can see him. Yeah. Um, so uh, Teddy gets really excited that somebody else can actually see Leo. And yeah. Uh, starts feeling like it's real. Um, so he... Reed says he knows what it's like to have the voices talk to you and help you and um, that sometimes it gets overwhelming and they can confuse you um, and you've relied on them for so long, but now they're turning against you. And he starts talking about M theory um, because, of course, Reed is the only person that would yeah. ever know what that means. Um, so he... <laughs> And he, the, te, we see Teddy's hallucination, and he turns, sees Reed turn into this like spaghetti man <laughs> version of himself. And like, I feel like maybe if I had any idea what string theory is, that would make sense. I didn't think it was actual strings, but, <laughs> but um, apparently it is. Yeah. So, yeah, Reed tells him that Leo isn't really helping him, he's actually stopping him from fully understanding string theory. And then at that point, Elle knocks Teddy over. Mm-hmm. So, but she doesn't, I don't think she gets all the way up. I think she just like kind of throws her weight to like knock him over. So she must not be able to get up. Um, so, and then we just hear a gunshot. Yeah. So and we're all worried about Reed. Yes. So it turns out that Harry, sweaty guy, mm-hmm. is the one that shot Teddy. He says he had to. Um, so Teddy and Dr. Deaton are both still alive. Um, they're loaded onto ambulances and then Gideon checks on L. Um, she says that she's fine and she, she calls him dad and he says, never do that again. Yeah. Um, like he's not the dad. No. Like, come on. Nothing he did was dad like. But he is the dad of the team. You know what I mean? Yeah, but not. No, this was then, not okay of her to do this. <laughs> yeah. This is crossing a line professionally. I was very uncomfortable. Which I thought was kind of funny because, like, I feel like if Reed would have called him dad, he would have just, like, punched him like, in the shoulder and been like, okay, uh, sport. Yeah, like, <laughs> chucked him on the chin. Yeah. But not Elle, because none of us like her. Yeah. Um, so Elle asks Reed about what he, says on, what he said on the train and hearing the voices, which was very obvious that he was speaking from, speaking experience. from experience. He was not making that up. And mm-hmm. Reed's just like, ah, I was just playing into the fantasy. <laughs> um, but it's totally unconvincing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And i she says in this moment too, that he like probably quote unquote saved her life. Like not probably. Yeah. Like literally. She definitely saved her He's life. He's literally the only yeah. person <laughs> that came in and did anything in this entire episode, but sure. But yeah, that was, and then the episode ended, so. And there was no profile. No, not really. Not, they showed up and they literally did nothing except for read. Yeah. I mean, they used, I guess, psychology and like figuring out what his delusion was, but it was pretty heavy handed. Yeah. I didn't really need any special training to figure that part out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a good episode. And it's, I think it's an episode that's like in real time. Like, when they show up there, the minutes track. Like, Yeah, that makes sense. Like, they say after he says they have an hour to figure something out, it's only been, like, 10 minutes. And it reflects in their timeline on the show that it's only been that Yeah, it's pretty tight. There's yeah. not a lot of, like, lost time other than that Which six I, hours. I, I ve- yeah. <laughs> I very much appreciate those kinds of, like, capsule episodes. Yeah, where it's just really fast-paced. And- yeah, and it, like, matches up with real life. Like the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You like, get a sense of like how things work in real life. Yeah. And you feel like you're a part of it because yeah. it's real time kind <laughs> of thing. But yeah, no, there was no official profile. 
No official anything, really. Um, no, but Reed's close-up magic saved the day. So All we know is Matthew Gray Goobler is, in fact, an accomplice close-up magician. And I learned that there have never been any direct flights from Washington, D.C. to El Paso. Well, it doesn't make any sense. Dallas who would go there. Yeah. Like Dallas, go through Houston or Dallas. Dallas and Houston are both major airports. There is no reason you would fly into. El yeah, Paso. and in this episode, they go on and on about how they're on their way to Dallas. And I was confused because they kept saying they were in West Texas, but at the beginning, Elle tells Gideon that she's about an hour away from Dallas, which would put her much further east. Oh, I didn't even catch that she said that. Yeah, she said I'm just, about an hour away. So had she already been on the, <laughs> the train for 21 hours? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and so they all keep saying they're on their way to Dallas. They're going to yeah. Dallas. Yeah. Uh, the, the, so if Elle was going to go to both El Paso and Dallas, she would have flown into Dallas and then had to drive to El Paso. She wouldn't have flown to El Paso and driven to Dallas. She probably would have just flown from Dallas to El Paso. But Why? If she had to go there, they're not going to drive for nine hours. Yeah, That's but they crazy. don't. But you'd rather ride a train for twenty. Oh no, the train is insane. Yeah, there's no reason to take a train. It's but just, yeah, it's all illogical. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, is it's it was very illogical. And I was bummed about that because it really, like that whole transportation nonsense, just really threw me for a loop. And yes. and in what is otherwise. A really good fun episode. Yeah, and I, I had remembered this episode so fondly. <laughs> Because it is like the, there's a lot of intensity, like the stakes are really high. You're very much into what's going to happen next. I'm very invested in Reed as a character. So having him take the lead in this kind of thing was a big deal. Yeah. But rewatching it now through a more critical lens, I was like, huh. I know. Hmm, that's not how I remember that. Um, I, I don't think we can really give a profile score. We can't. It's another zero. Because there wasn't one. There was no profile. However, we do have another white man. We have another white man, which gets us uh, very firmly 90-10 white men. Wow. There's no rounding needed anymore. 90-10 <laughs> white men. Um, and I mean, Hotch didn't really do anything, so I guess he's still a nine. Hey, he pulled that microchip out of the walkie-talkie. That's true. It was very helpful. Yeah. And then gave Reed sad eyes as he walked toward the train. See you soon. <laughs> yeah. He showed very emotion believable. in being very, very concerned about Reed being able to pull this off. So I guess we can't take anything away from him in that instance. But I know. I just hope that they were all very congratulatory of him because yeah. they all thought that he was dead meat and he pulled he's, it off. He's the only one who really did anything, including yeah. Elle. And I thought this episode was supposed to be about her. Yeah. But you know what? I'm also excited for the next episode, The Popular Kids. Yes. Because this is another good one. Yeah. I remember this one too. Casually racist, if I remember correctly. A bit. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. Mm -hmm. uh, excited to talk about that one next week. Yeah. Um, we are super pumped about everybody that's been listening and following along. I know. We well, have almost a thousand plays. It's crazy. <laughs> and we are uh, quickly approaching the halfway mark of season one. So we're getting there. Yeah. Um, wherever you listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a five-star review. You can find us on social media at The Unsub is a White Man. Our theme music is uh, composed and performed by Nate Youngblood, and the podcast is produced by Nate Youngblood. 
And you can join us next week on a 22-hour train ride during which we could binge an entire season of this show. (laughs) 